And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Today on the phone line with us is Dr. Sean Rittenauer. Dr. Rittenauer is professor of economics at Grove City College. It's a Christian liberal arts college in Grove City, Pennsylvania, about 50 miles north of Pittsburgh. He's also author of the book, Foundations of Economics, A Christian View. And Dr. Rittenauer, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, it's, a, it's a great honor and a pleasure. Now, you're an expert in economics, and you um, strive to apply the Christian worldview to your field. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, this is a really interesting subject to me. It seems that families in America are struggling just to make ends meet, uh, whether it's the rising costs of health care, uh, increases in, in land, school taxes, gas taxes, inheritance taxes, um, or, or some cries that we sometimes hear from the small business community that they feel the heavy hand of government uh, oppressing them and counterproductive to their freedom. Um, I often think about when I drive through uh, Kingston, New York, which we live near, um, I see very few businesses that are creating new things, like widgets, I would call them. You know, certainly we see restaurants, diners, uh, health facilities, some education, but but very few thriving businesses that are really creating things. It almost seems like they've lost their incentive that ordinarily would be there in a free market. Um, and it seems like the climate for small business uh, is kind of depressed you know, certainly um, government is doing okay, but but not the private sector. At least that's the feel I get. So, uh, Dr. Rittenar, um, maybe to get us started, I'm wondering, what does uh, what would you say a, a free market looks like? What what does it really look like? Uh, how would you describe it? Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, I would say, uh, well, first and foremost. I think it's imperative that we understand that a, a generally free market um, is is not much. It wouldn't be that helpful if a free market ran counter to our understanding of of Christian ethics and and our understanding of of the creation. Um, and uh, one of the reasons that I uh, sort of embrace the free market is that I'm I'm confident that. You have a Christian understanding, a biblical understanding of man, and also a biblical understanding of the the, the created order that uh, He's God has built into creation certain economic laws, and that those laws function best within a free market. And also, uh, the, a, free, a free market is the uh, the general economic system that one I think uh, has if we live out a Christian ethic of property. Um, and by that I mean a Christian ethic of, of private property. Um, there's a long uh, Christian tradition, uh, go, well, really going clear back to the Scriptures, um, advocating uh, the idea that if people own a piece of property, that uh, that, 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 that property is secure, that, that nobody can just come and take it away from them. Um, and that that's true not just for private uh, criminals, shall we say, but also uh, the rulers. Um, you know, you can think back to maybe a, a case where um, 
the king, I think it was uh, Ahab and, and Jezebel wanted Naboth's vineyard, and um, uh, you know Naboth said, "No, I, I, ca- I can't do this because uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. My religious convictions are I can't trade this thing." And so it's very clear that uh, the people were trying to get him to part with this uh, property was well, we're doing things that were wrong, and so this idea that that. That, that people are um, secure in the property that that God has blessed them with. That is a, as a fundamental Christian ethic. Now, if, if we embrace that as a society, what we end up having is is a free market economy. A free market economy is essentially a a vast network of voluntary exchange. So people are not uh, forced or compelled to trade if they don't want to, uh, but if people are uh, willing to trade and they can su- successfully negotiate a uh, mutually uh, understood and uh, a mutually agreed to contract, then they're able to exchange. And this type of exchange society uh, promotes what we call the division of labor, where uh, different people are able to use the talents and the skills uh, that they've been uh, blessed with, uh, that they've been created with. Uh, people are able to use uh, the capital goods that they have been blessed with and the the land that they've been blessed with and uh, use it uh, to uh, produce things and engage in productive activity that best suits them. You know, not everybody is equally good at different things. So uh, we see uh, the division of labor as a way for each individual person to become more productive and then in some sense benefit themselves. But then also, as we do this, we're all serving one another, and the entire society becomes more productive. All of that is only made possible in a uh, an environment of private property, where people are allowed to um, they're secure in their property. They're allowed to trade their property. Uh, we can't trade what we don't own, and ownership then implies the ability to trade. And if we're able to trade, then we're able to specialize in producing certain things that we're relatively better at producing, and then and then trade the surplus for other things that we would like to have as well. And uh, so so uh, a free market is a market, is an, a network of voluntary exchange that manifests itself in the division of labor under the legal institution or supported by the legal institution of private property. And as as we uh, embrace private property, it facilitates exchange, so it facilitates the division of labor, which helps us all be more productive. But it also uh, provides the incentive to accumulate capital. Right? You had mentioned, for instance, the you know the the seeming uh, diminishing in, in in a number of communities of uh, of businesses. Businesses move out, but businesses don't move in. One reason why that occurs is is that there doesn't seem to be uh, incentives for people to uh, set up shop in a certain place. And uh, in order for uh, businessmen and uh, entrepreneurs to be willing to do that, there has to be an incentive to to accumulate and uh, capital and use it wisely. And by accumulate, I don't mean uh, you know uh, hoard it and be a miser. It just means uh, come into uh, ownership of productive assets, machinery, tools, computers, what have you. 
because it takes those things to produce a good that other people want. And so as people use more tools and more machinery and they can organize them efficiently, that, that of course, allows them to produce something. And, and you know, the entrepreneur is doing that, hopefully, to earn a profit. So if you if, – if, however, they don't have incentive to do these things, if, for instance, they're afraid that if they earn profits, they're going to be taken away from them through confiscatory taxation or what have you, or if we invest in capital, it's not going to – you know, that, that's a long-term commitment, but if we go ahead and invest long-term, the future returns are going to be eaten away through inflation, well, that reduces the incentive to do all these things. And so um, I would say that – it's pretty clear, and this is recognized not just by economists, but also um, uh, certainly some of our best uh, Christian theologians uh, and thinkers in the, in the 19th century recognize this as well, that when we don't have private property, when we don't have the ability to exchange, we don't have the incentive to save and invest and engage in entrepreneurial activity, then we move... Uh, we move away from prosperity to the sort of uh, to sort of a malaise, if you will. Well, that's very helpful. I, I love your definition of uh, a vast network of voluntary exchange manifesting itself in a division of labor under this legal institution of private property. If if I may summarize, I think that's what I heard you say. Sure, that's exactly right. Uh, that is, um, there's a lot of there's a lot to chew on there. Yeah. Um, this notion of voluntary exchange, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is something that takes place at a very low level, and it's not programmed by government, I assume. Oh, that's right. I mean, it, it, you think about the things that we do every day. Uh, you come to, come to work, maybe you stop, and you, get, uh, you have to buy a tank of gas or you buy a coffee. Right? That's voluntary exchange. Voluntary meaning, of course, that there's no coercion involved. No one is no one's forcing you to do it. No one's holding a gun to your head. Um, no one says, if you don't do this, you know, to the gulag with you. Um, that's, that's voluntary. On the other hand, it also means um, you, you're, not, you're not kept. You're, you're able to engage in voluntary exchange. In other words, you're not coming to... Uh, a gas station, and you don't have some official saying, well, uh, you don't look right, uh, you're not tall enough, you're not the right color, you're not, uh, you've got uh, funny religious views, and so you can't buy gasoline today. Or, or maybe something as mundane as, uh, well, your, um, your license plate ends uh, with, a, with an odd number, so you can't buy gas today, you have to wait and buy gas tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right? Voluntary exchange is exactly that. And, and, and you're right, it happens uh, at at, at the the the, uh, the grass rootiness of the grassroots level as possible, right? It's just it's it's individual human beings participating in voluntary exchange without, as you said, without the the certainly without the central direction, and even um, in even uh, without the um, what should one say the intrusive regulation of the government. Yes. Okay. That, well, that's very helpful. Um, and my hunch, and it's based on a little bit of reading, is that if you were to even try to program this sort of thing, it, it's really an impossible task because of the number of variables and the degrees of freedom involved. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, certainly it's 
it's possible to try to implement a plan. I mean, that's what the uh, you know all socialist dreamers have, have tried to do whenever they've tried to create uh, their uh, their utopias. But um, the problem with that is, when you think back uh, to what, how we talked about what a market economy is. A market economy is this. Um, manifests itself in the division of labor. When you think about that, think about the think of all the different ways in our society people specialize in doing particular things, right? Um, you know, you specialize in uh, broadcasting, and uh, I specialize in uh, teaching and writing about economics. There are people that I know that specialize in providing groceries and, and produce to people. There are people that specialize in selling barbecue. There are people that specialize, I know, that specialize in ranching and, and growing cattle. Uh, there are people that specialize in, in, in a whole host of things. I mean, almost all of the things we do, people are specializing in these things, and they're specializing in them not because they want to consume them themselves, right? Um, I... I don't uh, teach economics just because I really like to hear myself talk, you know, a few times every day about economics. Um, I've I've said uh, a lot of my lectures many times, and in some sense, if I was talking just for myself, I probably would retire because I've heard it a lot. Um, so I am I'm doing it for other people, and the same is true for everybody else. If you think that the CEO of Walmart, for instance, doesn't. Uh, oversee all these Walmarts just so he can shop at every single one of them every day. Right? Now he he has these Walmarts there uh, for other people to shop at. Yeah. Right? And so in this division of labor, when we engage in production, we are producing not for ourselves, but we're producing for other people. And that's what makes makes it actually somewhat tricky to um, to get the benefit of the division of labor. Mm. Right? There's a tremendous benefit in in all of us because we're all able to to do what we're relatively better at doing, we're all more productive, and then societally we're all more productive. But the, the catch, if you will, is not really the catch, but the, um, the challenge is that in the division of labor, we're producing for other people. And so, and we can't read other people's minds. Right? Mm. In other words, there's a lot of decentralized activity going on that has to be coordinated some way for us, for, for things to work right. Um, you know, imagine, for instance, if I if I specialize in, in producing hamburgers at a, at, a, at a restaurant or a, or just a, at a diner, right? Um, I'm not going to be able to do that unless I can get uh, access to ground beef when I need it, where I need it, of the right quality. Well, the people that are supplying me the ground beef are not going to be able to do that if there's some type of uh, some type of snafu in uh, in the cattle industry, mm-hmm. right? And so the the cattle rancher has to produce the right amount of cattle so that there's enough uh, there's enough uh, processed beef that will generate enough ground beef so that the hamburger joint will be able to have enough ground beef to make their hamburgers to satisfy customers. There's a lot of individual decisions that have to be made, and so you know the the. The uh, uh, central planners and socialists throughout history have looked at it and said, well, this is so chaotic, so anarchic, this is crazy. Think about how many decisions that have to be made. The best way to do is to plan all these things. But you plan all these things, you direct all these things, you have a big problem. Because it turns out that when you try to plan, you remove the one thing that's absolutely necessary in order to successfully coordinate plans. And that is 
the economic calculation that has to take place by every single decision maker to decide, is it profitable to do this or to do that? Is it profitable for me to raise cattle, or should I uh, not raise cattle and maybe turn to some other agricultural venture? Mm. And those decisions are made through profit and loss system, uh, profit and loss calculation, and um, it's just like accountants when they start counting up the value of assets and the value of liabilities, they all do it using market prices because those prices are manifestations of people's values. When you desire, uh, when people desire more gasoline than, than, than there is supplied, the price will go up. When the supply of gasoline increases faster than demand, the prices will go down. Mm-hmm. So the prices of goods represent their manifestations of people's subjective preferences and their values. And entrepreneurs use those prices to calculate profit and loss so that when they do produce a good that is profitable, they're doing precisely what people want. Mm. And, and, and then, of course, if, if they produce something that earns a loss, that's a sign that, well, they made a mistake. They should have produced something else, but they didn't. They tied up land, labor, capital goods, producing something that people didn't value as much as they thought, and so they earn a loss. Right? Now, in, and again, in a, in a free market, the beauty of the market is that when people engage in productive activity, they, uh, they serve other people well, they get rewarded for it. They, get, they earn a profit. And if they don't, if they, if they don't, and from society's perspective, they squander resources, they reap a loss. Right? They reap a loss, and, so they ha- and that falls on them. So they have every incentive not to reap a loss in the first place, and if they do reap a loss, they have a great incentive to assess the situation. Why did we reap a loss, and how can we not reap a loss in the future? How can we keep from continuing to squander resources? Yeah, you bet. Now, uh, I'm looking at the clock here. We have maybe uh, 10 minutes left uh, to our interview today. I'm talking with Dr. Sean Rittnar. He's professor of economics, Grove City College. And before I forget, I don't want to leave this to the last minute, Dr. Rittnar. Suppose someone would like to read more about this. Uh, to me, this is fascinating, and, it, and, it, and it, it's tied very closely to, I think, our own personal freedoms. Um, if they want to read more about this, uh, could you direct them where to go? Uh, yes. Um, it's, uh, I, 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 it's a little embarrassing, but I, I would humbly uh, suggest that um, they could uh, take a look at a, a book that I've written called Foundations of Economics, A Christian View. Um, it's a, uh, it was conceived as an introductory book on economics, and it's written with that in mind. I, I, I assume no previous knowledge of economics, and I tried to build up economics from, from the ground up, but within a specifically Christian framework. So I try to explain how what God tells us in the Scripture about uh, the created order and about uh, who we are as human beings made in God's image, that allows us, it's that that allows us to actually undertake something called economics as a social science. And then building on, on that foundation, we can then derive a number of economic principles that we can then use to uh, answer important questions, such as uh, what are the benefits of, uh, of the free market and what happens when we do something not to have a free market. So that's, mm-hmm. that book is, um, uh, as I said, uh, Foundations of Economics, A Christian View. It's uh, available. Um, probably your best bet is just to go look for it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's published by Wiffenstock, uh, Wiffenstock Publishers, and um, you, know, you could look at it th- on, at their website as well, but I think you probably get a, a better, better price on Amazon, probably. Okay. But um, if you're also... 
wanting to look at at, at something uh, that's say not book length, um, I would encourage you to take a look at the uh, the website of the Ludwig von Mises Institute at mises.org, mises.org. That uh, that institute uh, is, was very helpful. I was a, uh, uh, a Mises fellow when I was in graduate school, and they have a tremendous uh, amount of economics resources online. They have, they have daily articles written by their scholars uh, that are uh, more uh, sort of editorial and op-ed links than they have. Of, they have a vast... Um, uh, library of uh, economics and sociological and political uh, works online available for free as PDFs, and you could you could spend you could spend a many 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 years uh, reading reading their works and and um, really uh, a tremendous uh, history of economic thought uh, that's there. So that's a good place to go to. Um, there's also I would I'd recommend too. There's an also a um, a DVD series called Economics for Everybody that um, I've I served partly with other some other people as a, as a consultant on, which I, I recommend. Um, it's hosted by R.C. Sproul Jr. and um, uh, it's uh, it's you could I think if you just do a search called Economics for Everybody, I think you'll add DVD series. I think you could find that online as well. Okay, well, that's very helpful, and I will try to list all of these um, on our website, Dr. Rittenor, because this broadcast gets posted up there as a podcast. Um, we got about uh, five minutes left. I One more question, if I may. Sure. And I know this could could be uh, probably a whole year's worth of uh, <laughs> talks, but um, you've described what a what a free market really looks like. Um, this vast network of voluntary exchange it manifested as a division of labor and uh, under the legal institution of private property. So very important. Now the, now the big question, also another big question is, it's this, um, does America really have a free market? Uh, that is a that is a big question. Um, I guess in some, it could be big or small. The short answer is no. Uh, um, we don't have a free market anymore. Um, in some sense, we we never had an absolutely free market. I don't think any economy has ever been a pure one hundred percent free market because a free market would be a market that does uh, defend and uh, embrace private property rights. Uh, but then the government does not intervene, and there's always been some level. But if you, what we, what I would say, what we have is is a hampered market economy. In other words, it's it is a market economy. There's buying and selling. There's, there it, it, there is a voluntary exchange that takes place, but it's not completely free voluntary exchange. It's hampered in one way or another. And you think about it. Just think of the tax burden that we have. Um, a high tax burden, uh, even from historic from historic standards in, the, in our country, uh, significantly high, uh, you know, government uh, spending, uh, and government spending represents uh, resources not in the control of private citizens, but in the control of government bureaucrats. And so government spending represents one of the, the largest and most important ways that government intervenes and hampers the market economy and directs resources away from the actual desires of people in society. And then you, on top of that, you have 
the uh, government-privileged uh, monetary system, the, the central bank, uh, inflating the money supply at, at, at high rates, leading to uh, continually higher prices, continually dropping in the purchasing power of money. And then you have the entire, you know, the regulatory apparatus um, with, uh, that, that seems to continually be growing. And uh, so, um, in, in reality, uh, we, we don't we don't have a free market anymore. And that, to me, is it gets that's at the heart of why we don't see to have the, the the thriving communities that we've that we've had before. In large part, it's because of a variety of government interventions, uh, subsidies to and, and, and special privilege being granted to certain businesses and certain enterprises and certain uh, people in certain uh, governmental sectors. Think of the financial sector, for instance. And then uh, not just subsidies given to certain people, but then regula- regulations uh, holding back other entrepreneurs. And whenever when that happens, it always results in uh, less saving, less investment, uh, less entrepreneurial activity, and that hampers that market division of labor, so we're just not as prosperous as we used to be. Mm. Very helpful. I, I would like to follow that up with a, another interview someday and, and have you educate us about what is the central bank, what is this thing called the Fed, uh, is it a godly institution or otherwise, and that would be. I would love to hear more about that from you someday. I'd be happy to talk with you about it. Yeah. Um, we got one minute left. Um, Dr. Rittenauer, thank you so much for joining us today. And maybe uh, 30 seconds advice for the average Joe on the street that wants to obey God and glorify him with his life. Oh, boy. Just, um, you know, strive to, strive to uh, fear God and keep his commandments. There you go. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Um, Today on the phone line with us has been Dr. Sean Rittenauer. He is professor of economics at Grove City College. It's a Christian liberal arts college in Grove City, Pennsylvania, about 50 miles north of Pittsburgh. Perhaps you're a young listener and considering going on to college. I would encourage you to consider Grove City College and be sure if you went there to take a course from Dr. Sean Rittenauer. Dr. Rittenauer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And uh, to our listener, if you wish to listen to this interview again, it's up on our website. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Have a pleasant day.